Welcome to Friday's Child the Podcast, formerly known as Life School ME. When I started Life School back in June 2019, my vision for where I wanted to take the podcast and how it would grow was not 100% clear. I knew I wanted to interview inspiring women and share their stories, but there was no grand plan. And that's okay. I'm a firm believer in starting before you're ready. But after falling pregnant with my beautiful daughter Mavia and deciding to focus on the world of bumps and babies for series two, I discovered a new passion for all things related to pregnancy and birth. The things I learned about the female body and birth during my pregnancy journey have changed me forever and ignited a newfound passion and love for this subject matter. So Life School has been reborn as Friday's Child and during this series I will be talking to first-time mums, childbirth educators and industry experts on all things motherhood. Whether you're newly pregnant, a first-time mum, or maybe you just want to find out more about the world of babies and motherhood, I hope you enjoy listening to my wonderful guests and that hopefully you can take away some helpful information and insights. Now let's get on with the show. My guest today has been credited with starting a food revolution with her trusty recipes and methods. She has become the UK's number one children's cookery author, best-selling international author, and the mother of all feeding experts with 45 cookbooks and counting. I am of course talking about the icon, that is Annabelle Carmel. With a career spanning over 25 years, Annabelle has pioneered the way families all over the world feed their babies and children. I cannot tell you how much of an honour and dream come true it was to have Annabelle on the podcast. Annabelle spoke so bravely about the tragic passing of her first baby girl, Natasha, and how that devastating loss, followed by the birth of her son, Nicholas, started a chain of events that has led her to become the renowned queen of all things weaning that we know and love today. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Annabelle Carmel. Annabelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I want to start by talking about your incredible career journey. What have been some of your personal highlights so far and how did this all start for you? Well, it started with a tragedy and uh, it was probably the worst thing that happened to a woman. So it took me nearly two years to get pregnant and eventually gave birth to a little girl. Um, but at around three months, I went into her room and she didn't look right. Her eyes were rolling black and she seemed to be twitching. And eventually, after a lot of persuasion, I took her to see my doctor. But he gave me a lecture on how first-time mothers worry unnecessarily about their babies and they're much more robust than you think they are. But the next morning, I took to see another doctor in Harley Street, and he went out and he said that he had to go and see another patient. But actually, when he came back, he said he hadn't gone and see another patient or talked to another patient. He had tried to get admitted to Great Ormond Street Hospital because there was something seriously wrong with her. He thought there was something wrong with her brain. So I took her to, he couldn't get her into Great Ormond Street. There was no bed for her. I took her to St. Mary's, and uh, she was there for five days and five nights. And on the fifth day, they said that thinking about her brain had gone and they took her off her ventilator, they put her in my arms and she died. And you went home and there was no baby and all her things were there. It was just, it was terrible. I didn't know how I could pick myself up and carry on. And having gone, you know, tried to get pregnant, taking two years, I didn't know how I would manage. So eventually I took Clomid, which is a fertility drug, and helped me to get pregnant. And I was very lucky that within four months I was pregnant. But that was not the end of my not the end of my journey. That's another story I might tell you a bit later. 
Um, and the reason she died was quite, quite difficult to take because first of all, she's misdiagnosed and then probably could have been prevented. And I hadn't known this, but if someone has a cold sore and they kiss the baby, it's a herpes simplex and it can cause the baby to die because they can get encephalitis. And that is exactly what happened to my baby because she was born and she was beautiful and she was a perfect baby. But within five days, she was just not there anymore. And it was very, very hard for me and for everyone around me, my mother and you know, my partner, and to pick yourself up. Every time I went out, someone would say to me, how's your gorgeous little girl? And you'd have to relive the story again. And it was strange, like in the mornings I would wake up and I would think it was a nightmare. And I would think it didn't happen, it's not true. And then of course you relive it again and you realize it is true and it has happened. And my whole career was really born out of the fact that this was my legacy to Natasha, to make something out of her short life, to make some meaning, because it was very hard to come to terms of why would a baby die? I, I actually, um, I, I saw your post, I think it was about six days ago now. Yes. Um, in honor of, and it's, is it pronounced encephalitis? Is that the So it was world, world, world Encephalitis, well, Encephalitis Day, and I wrote a post and I was explaining what happened to me and explaining that, you know, people think that you're just being very precious about saying to people, please don't kiss my baby. But you don't want people kissing your baby, not when they're that young, not when they're, you know, two, three months old. They just don't have the kind of the immunities mm. that, that they will have later. And it's just not worth it, you know? And even if you can't see a cold sore, sometimes if you're prone to getting cold sores, it's tingling, it can also be infectious. So it's just something that you just don't want lots of people kissing your baby. And I wrote that post because it was World Encephalitis Day and it went to 600,000 people. Annabelle, it really touched a chord of parents. Every single mother I know shared that post. I yeah, saw it. It's unbelievable. It's, it, you are so incredible for, for sharing that and raising awareness. But it could save, I actually thought it would, could save someone's life, some, some baby's life. Well, I had known that. One million percent. And when you first have your baby, I mean, from the minute you see the positive test, you start worrying. And in, especially in those early days, you are so worried. And a lot of the time people say to you, don't they, don't worry, everything's okay. But you have to listen to that gut instinct and the fact that you were brave enough to share that honestly it's incredible because I I saw it so many times that day and it was so powerful and every mother I knew sh shared that and you will be saving lives by doing that because yeah it was it was interesting I just I didn't know it was welding capitalized until I was sitting on the sofa and I was reading something that a friend of mine who's a doctor and she'd written about it and I thought well you know what I experienced that it happened to me and I thought, whatever I was going to post that morning, I'm not going to post it. I'm going to post this. I'm not going to post anything in the evening either. I want mums to know that they're not wrong when they say, please don't kiss my baby, because there's a reason for it. And I think it's very important because it can be a matter of life or death. And sometimes, you know, people just be little mums who wrap their children up in cotton wool. But the one thing the doctor said to me at Great Ormond Street was that when your baby is that young, you know, take them to the park, take them out in their pram, do whatever. But don't go and socialise and get people handing your baby around and kissing them because they are very fragile and they are prone to infection. And it, they can get ill really, really, really fast. So I just thought it was, it was just worth me putting that out there. But I never expected the response that I got. I mean, literally... I said 600,000 people saw that post. I had no idea it would be that many. But that will save one baby's life and it was incredibly worthwhile. Oh, just so powerful and, and thank you for sharing that. Um, 
And so from, from Natasha's legacy, when did you then start to think, okay, how, how am I going to continue this? I mean, how, where did you even begin after that? Well, I knew I wanted to work with children in some way. I'd been a musician and I was still playing music. And then when Nicholas was born, and he was a very difficult baby, he was a terrible sleeper and an even worse eater. And of course I felt vulnerable because I'd lost my child. And I'm thinking like, oh, if he ever got ill like she did, he would have no reserves to fight it because he hadn't got good nutrition inside him. So I was determined to get him to eat well. So I was making fantastic like recipes and developing things. And if he liked apple, I put it in with chicken, which he wouldn't eat. I made chicken and apple balls. And I got my son to eat. And at that time, I was running a big playgroup in London with about 100 children coming every week. And I was sharing my recipes with them. I'd never actually thought of writing a recipe book. But every week, they'd ask me for different recipes. And eventually, they said to me, you know, you should write a book on feeding babies. And I thought about it. And at first, I thought, me, write a book. Like, I couldn't even type. I thought, like, this is ridiculous ridiculous but then I thought you know something I've really got Nicholas to eat well and he loves the food and all the other mums in the playgroup they're using my recipes and they love it and it's really helped them why don't I write this book as a, like a legacy to Natasha and also like a therapy for me to help me kind of come to terms with her death and I really put my heart and soul into that book I studied nutrition I spent two and a half years working with all the experts on nutrition I came up with the recipes took me two years to write them and then no one wanted to publish it I took it around all the big publishers and they all turned me down because no books on feeding babies had ever been a commercial success so nobody was interested in it and eventually I went to a book packager and that book went on to sell over 5 million copies and got translated into 25 different languages and I've now written 45 books but you know and that was spawned loads and loads of books now on weaning and it became a massive bestseller it became the second best-selling hardback non-fiction book of all time in the uk it's unbelievable and it's on feeding babies and toddlers and the strange thing is more recently like six years ago i developed and i decided to do an app on feeding babies and toddlers because app is a great it's a great way of um, being able to download recipes and if you're in the supermarket, you've got your app in your pocket it's got like an allergy tracker so you can take pictures of your baby and you can um, record what they ate and what they might be allergic to and I released that and it's now the number one food and drink app in the UK there's just I so much that parents <laughs> parents need to know and it's great I've got to let the dog in one thing oh yes go ahead one of the poor dogs that have. come in they love to go inside outside they want to come inside it's <laughs> always a permanent job looking after them your app is just amazing i love the allergy tracker and it is just that convenience isn't it um you know i do love a book as well and i also have one of your books but i i love just the ease of an app and these days you know mums i mean we've just got so many apps on the go um yeah. and it's just fabulous you can just dip in and out of it if you you know you just think like, i want to make chicken you put chicken in and all these chicken recipes come up whether it's family recipe a baby recipe a baby led weaning recipe or Sometimes quick and easy in less than 10 minutes. It just gives you that inspiration. We all get a bit stuck in a rut, don't we, about what to cook. We make our favorite things and then the family don't want to eat them anymore because you make them too often. So you need to kind of expand your repertoire. And the idea was that I would put all my favorite recipes into the app and it has over 300 recipes. So yeah, it was a labor of love. Halfway through, I thought, well, what am I doing? It's so much work. <laughs> but I never thought it would be this successful. And again, like it's kind of broken all records of, like a recipe app it's, it's like the number one app in this country for recipes well I think That's also you crazy. you paved the way because I imagine when you first when you wrote your first book 
there just weren't as you say sort of successful books on weaning it just wasn't a thing um now it's a huge industry but you were really a sort of trailblazer and one of the first well, everybody said they baby, babies only like bland food. And I'm thinking, we don't like bland food, so why should babies? So I put it to the test. So I took 20 babies from my playgroup and I took them around my kitchen table. And some of them I just gave like, you know, potato. And the other ones I gave like a little bit of curry paste. I made a chicken chicken curry, or I'd make something with mashed avocado, potato and, um, and a herb. And you know what? They didn't like the bland food. They like food that has taste and you can't add salt so you have to add something to give it taste so whether it's herbs garlic you know curry powder garam masala cinnamon you know there's ways of making making food attractive to babies and between six and 12 months is that window when they do eat reasonably well and after one year their growth rate slows down so it's their appetite so if you can give them lots of different flavors early on they're much less likely to grow into a fussy child so it's really worthwhile so that window between six to 12 months is your opportunity to expose them to as many flavors as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And does that give you a bit more of a chance to ensure that your baby may not be so fussy once they Definitely. hit that one year milestone? Definitely. Definitely. And it's, it's very important. And also you're building your child's eating habits the rest of their life in the very formative years. They tend to make up their mind what they like and what they don't like by the age of three. They're not going to just change. You know, once they've, gone into a diet of like sugary cereals and junk food they're probably going to carry on with that the rest of their life if that's what they've had up to the age of three and it's also snacks you know snacks are a big part of a baby's diet so always try and make sure there's something healthy you know it could be something like um piece of cheese or some vegetables or hummus dip but you can make snacks delicious but healthy they're an overall part of your diet when you're a child yeah absolutely and as we're on the subject of weaning, let's get into it because it's something that I have found the most challenging sort of part of my motherhood <laughs> journey so far. The sleepless nights, the breastfeeding, all fun. And I got to weaning and I'm just not very confident when it comes to cooking for myself. Mm. So you probably meet lots of mums like me who just feel overwhelmed just at the thought of it. And my baby's seven months now. So we've I started when she was just... Um, just before six months so where do you start are you because obviously your app um which i spent a lot of time on you have you have baby led you also have spoon options but where would you say to start and for a mum like me who is still quite overwhelmed with the whole weaning process what would be your advice i i i don't like to start with baby rice i start with fruit and vegetables so i like to start with vegetables so I know there is a school of thought you start with green vegetables. Well, I don't agree with that necessarily. I think you should start with the sweeter tasting vegetables because weaning in itself is, you know, can be quite traumatic for a baby. She's used to milk coming in a steady flow. It's very easy to swallow. They suck it. They don't, they have to learn how to get food from the front of their mouth to the back of their mouth. So give them something that they're going to love. And they're going to love orange vegetables because they are naturally sweet and breast milk is sweet. So I tend to make things like sweet potato, carrot, butternut squash, I often like to roast them in the oven. When you roast sweet potato or you roast butternut squash, it actually caramelizes the actual vegetables and brings out all that natural sweetness. There's no added sugar, it's just the actual vegetable. Like the way you cook it makes it more tasty. So that works very well. And then I go on to give green vegetables on their own or I mix them with something like sweet potato. Because I want babies to love eating. I don't want to give them something and like a broccoli puree as their first taste and put them off it and then they won't want to wean 
And weaning in itself can be difficult with some children. Other children go to it like ducks to water. It's easy. And then sometimes I'd like to hold them on my lap. You know, so it's like an emotional thing and feed them. And if they don't like the spoon, I'll dip my finger in the food and let them suck it off my finger. But then the thing is, if you're starting to wean it at six months, which tends to be the recommendation, although you can start at five months if you feel your baby is ready, the biggest mistake parents make is that they carry on giving fruit and vegetables for weeks and weeks and weeks. And from six months, the iron that a baby inherits from their mother starts to run out. So they need iron in their diet. And neither breast milk or formula milk will provide the iron that your baby needs, which is why iron deficiency is the commonest deficiency in babies. So you need to give red meat, which is the best source of iron, or if you're going to give a vegetarian source of iron like lentils, then you need to combine it with vitamin C, otherwise you can't absorb it. You can absorb iron from red meat, chicken, eggs very well, but from a vegetarian source, you can't. So it's very important to know it's a combination of foods that you give. So I think weaning, you just need to know a few things, not many, but these bullet points are that you can't just give fruit and vegetables. They shouldn't have a low calorie diet like us, and they shouldn't have too much fiber. So it's quite confusing because we're supposed to have low fat, high fiber. And for babies, actually, they should have high fat, well, good fats like cheese that you can cook with butter and things like that, they're good for babies. And fiber, not too much fiber, because fiber can deplete their body of iron and very important nutrients that they need to grow. So it's different. And that's quite confusing because we're told mm. a different message. And then the one other thing that babies need, which is that really they, they can only get it from one source, is essential fatty acids. You can really only get that from oily fish. People say you can get it from flax seeds or ground walnuts, but you have to eat a huge amount of them mm. to get anything like the amount of essential fatty acids you get from oily fish. So from six months, you need to give oily fish twice a week. A lot of people don't realize that. So you need something like salmon. So I, I was doing a video yesterday all about salmon and how to make salmon purees or how to make salmon balls for your baby. Because a baby's brain is growing rapidly in their first year, it's tripling in size. And one of the most important parts of the brain is the omega-3s that go into the brain. Which is why they say by eating fish, and it's oily fish, your child's going to be more intelligent. Not sure how true that is, but it definitely helps with the brain formation and the visual development and the nervous development of a child. And again, if you taste, if you taste formula milk, a lot of it tastes a little bit fishy because a lot of it contains sometimes an essential fatty acid, which is made from fish. That's so interesting. But it still doesn't contain enough. You still need to eat the fish. Yeah, it's I noticed that it can smell, it does smell. Fishy. Yeah, it does have a yeah. weird smell. Yeah, exactly. that makes total sense. And I'm so glad you said about popping them on your lap because I felt really guilty the other day because my little girl was just getting quite stressed. And I knew she was hungry, but she was trying to grab the spoon and she was just getting herself worked up. So I just popped her on my lap and she ate the whole bowl. And I thought, yeah. I don't know they if I'm safe, don't they? Well, I don't it's know if I'm lovely for you. doing this, but yeah. it feels right. So there's nothing. There's no right or wrong when it comes to weaning, really. Nothing is right or wrong, apart from giving them whole nuts or something ridiculous, which obviously any, 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 any mum would know not to. But basically, whatever suits you and suits your baby, if your baby's better sitting in your lap, that's great. And I think, you know, we don't like eating on our own. So if you can eat with your baby, that's a good, that's a good example to show them. They're great mimics. They see you eat, they want to eat. And what about allergens, Annabelle? Because there is so much conflicting yes. advice out there. And I am... I am slightly nervous. I'm slowly introduce, introducing things. This week I'm going to do salmon. I'm going to watch one of your videos and be brave and introduce salmon. Yeah. But I, I, I'm still quite nervous with things like eggs and, and she's great. She's eating well. But 
what's your take on allergens and how to introduce them into your baby's diet? Well, the research on allergens is that you need to give them from six months because you're actually going to sensitize your baby to those foods and you're going to be less likely that your child will develop an allergy if you introduce peanut butter at around six months. The only caveat to that is if your baby has quite severe eczema, because babies who have severe eczema are much more likely to have a food allergy or if there is a serious allergy in the family. But it isn't specific allergies that are inherited. So if your husband has a peanut allergy, it doesn't mean your child's going to have a peanut allergy. But if you or your husband had, let's say, asthma or eczema or hay fever, that can be inherited. So I give peanut butter from six months. I mix it with lace, sweet potato puree, or for baby ledwini, I put on a piece of toast. But it isn't just giving it once. You have to give it regularly, maybe twice a week. You include peanut butter into your baby's diet. And that is to protect your baby from developing an allergy. The same with eggs. Now, eggs is a very common allergy, more common than a lot of people think. But it's not a life-threatening allergy. So the best thing you can do is give your child some egg and see if, if they develop an allergy. That's why my allergy tracker is so good, because it will, you can record it on, yeah. the, on the app. And if your child has an allergy to eggs, then you seek medical advice. But your child's not going to die from having an egg allergy, so don't worry. But then at least you'll know. What you don't want to do is, oh, I'm just worried about my child having an allergy to eggs. I'm not going to give eggs for nine or ten months. Then your child's going to be much more likely to have an allergy to eggs because you haven't helped them get sensitized to eggs. And the interesting thing with eggs is, very often babies have an egg allergy can grow out of it. But in my day, if you had an egg allergy, they would say, just take all eggs out of your baby's diet. Don't give them biscuits, don't give them meatballs, a bit of egg, and don't give any egg. Now they're not saying that. They're saying give them anything that they can tolerate with egg in it. So if they can eat a biscuit, give them a biscuit. If they can eat a meatball with a bit of egg in it, give it to them. Because that will help them grow out of their egg allergy. So giving them tiny amounts of that protein helps babies eventually grow out of it. And that is the way to help your baby. And even with severe peanut allergy now, and I work with one of the top allergy specialists, in fact, professor of, uh, of pediatric allergies, and who's incredible. And they're giving babies who have severe peanut allergies, and you wouldn't do it at home, but you have to do it under medical supervision, mm. tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of the peanut protein. So that if they did get a reaction, they wouldn't die from it anymore. So it's, it's not the complete don't give it to them. It's like giving it to them in small amounts, provided that there's no risk, that will help your baby. So it's the anxious mother in some ways that might do the most harm. It's the, oh, let's just give my child all these foods kind of mother, that the child tends to be okay. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm so glad you've said that and you've actually really given me a confidence boost because me and my husband love all food. We don't have any allergies. We're real foodies. So why am I being nervous with my child? Well, it's natural. You would. I mean, um, we all, we're all a bit nervous. But, you know, unless you know the facts, you're not quite sure. And there's so many things going around, you know, like maybe food food before one is only for fun, which is not true because what you give your baby from six months to 12 months is extremely important. And allergies, yeah, a lot of people will say, oh, hold off giving peanut butter, hold off giving eggs, you know, your child might develop an allergy. Well, your child might develop an allergy if you don't give it. That's what I think. That's a huge one, actually. You hear this all the time. Oh, they're just experimenting. They get everything they need from their milk until they're one. Um, 
I mean, I hear that all the time. And even my doctor here, our pediatrician said, do not give peanut butter until she's one. Don't give red meat. And he's very old school and I'm obviously doing my own research. So I I, I didn't have that. That is really not the right advice. Debate with him. Red meat is fantastic for babies. It's the best source of iron. So it's really important unless you're vegetarian to give red meat. Um, And iron deficiencies is very common in young babies and they can't spot it. You're just your child will be, you know, more prone to immunities, uh, to, to viral infections. And you don't want that, especially right now. Of course. I mean, we all need to be, you know, protecting ourselves and giving ourselves the best chance of having a strong immune system Absolutely. more than ever Absolutely. before. And yep. Annabelle, when do you know it's time to, because I'm still very much doing purees um, and like all mothers, I'm sure that you speak to, we're all quite nervous about choking there's obviously a massive difference between choking and gagging but when do you know that you can increase the texture and you can start giving them you know bits of toast and um really soft veggies when do you when do you know that your baby is ready for that well i always gave soft finger foods right from the start so you give them curious and soft finger foods with something really soft that melts in their mouth like banana or peach because I think it's important, even if they don't like eat very much of it, that they're, la- they're, they're learning the hand-to-eye coordination to feed themselves is really important. And then it really, you go at your baby's pace. You, you will see how your baby copes with the finger food that you've given them. Do they spit it out? Do they gag a bit? And this whole gagging thing is extremely frightening for mums. And as soon as the baby gags, they think, oh my God, oh my God, I can't give my child finger food anymore. But the thing is, gagging is a completely natural reflex. It's just the way your baby clears their throat so that they don't choke. So what you need to do is actually let them get on with it and let them learn how to clear their throat. Gagging is completely different from choking, which is silent and they go blue. So all babies will gag and it shouldn't put you off giving them finger foods, although it, it seems to like be like, oh, they're in trouble, but they're not. And they're only be in trouble if you actually interfere. <laughs> like, you really need to let them learn how to swallow food and chew food. And they will learn and they'll learn more quickly by you letting them get on with it themselves. So I'm just carrying on giving very, very soft finger foods and mouth in the mouth. Obviously nothing with stones or anything like that. And then eventually like cook it for less time, see how well they chew it. And eventually, you know, give them things that need a bit of chewing like chicken. But always be in the room with your child, always watch your child, always be there. Um, and they can store food up in their mouth so you never know when they're quite finished unless you actually look in their mouth. My children would store food up in their mouth 10 minutes after they've eaten, it was extraordinary. Yeah, always check the cheeks. <laughs> yes, it's strange. Strange things they do these kids. <laughs> We've all had that sort of gagging experience and it is really scary and it can really knock your confidence. Um, but as you say, it is part of the learning process and it probably affects you more than it does your baby. I think so, yeah. Um, they're, they're not really worried about it. They're not worried about it. They don't look worried when they're gagging. They don't get themselves into a state, generally speaking. They're just clearing their throat. And, and all babies will have to get through that stage to learn how to chew and swallow. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, Annabelle, can you tell us about your amazing food range um, that is actually available across the UAE now? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, so I developed a range of baby purees, organic, uh, that only contain 100% fruit, vegetables, um, and some of them contain coconut. So when you have a child who has a dairy intolerance, I do things like banana and blueberry and coconut pouches, and we sell them in spinnies and waitrose, uh, waitrose and Kibsons. 
Um, and yeah, it's been really popular, which is great. I mean, I absolutely love Dubai. Um, we opened a restaurant with someone called White in the Bed. Have you been there? It's amazing. Oh, whereabouts is it? It's um, in Jumeirah. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's oh like a children's restaurant. To go. But I love Dubai. I love the food. It's amazing. The restaurants are fantastic. And, you know, my books have always been popular. So I wanted to get my food out uh out there it's just like it's obviously very convenient to have pouches but i'm still you know a big exponent of you should be giving your child lots of fresh food as well but when you're out and about they're really good i did pick one up in waitrose the other day because i was out and about i was in marina mall (laughs) and i needed a pouch and i saw yours and my little girl loved it and i have to admit i do when i'm out and about i do use the pouches and yes sometimes obviously we need to have as much fresh food as possible but yeah if you were to give a ratio so mums listening can feel okay you know ratio from fresh food to pouches what can we feel okay about because when I am out and about it is super easy um, and you can even get those spoons now where you pop it all in and you just squeeze yeah. the spoon and it's just easy for when you're on the go the thing is, like, as soon as you put something in a pouch, it's never going to be as good as if you make something fresh because the actual process of giving it that longer life is going to knock out some of the nutrients. So, I mean, I would just say as much fresh food as you possibly can. And, you know, if you want to squeeze some of that, like, blueberry, banana, mango, strawberry, like, flavor into your baby's porridge or you want to freeze it in ice lollies or in your baby's teeth and that's great and you know do that I don't think you should ever feel guilty and if if there are days when you just don't have time to cook then you know use pouches I think it's whatever suits you I'm not so keen on a pouch that contains like but I don't think you have so many anyway in Dubai but in England we do like meat and fish and chicken Mm. I'd like to have that fresh to be honest but you know the occasional pouch went to your baby to be honest we also do like um some biscotti with apple and strawberry which is delicious which babies love so yeah so there's some nice things that you can get in the supermarket which is and you have pasta as well and we have the baby pasta that's perfect for when you want your child to learn to chew so if you give them their favorite puree or just make a tomato sauce with like lots of hidden vegetables and you stir in that pasta that is the best way to get babies to actually accept um texture what they don't like is something that's smooth and then there's a big lump they want overall lumpiness which is perfect for pasta and it's designed to introduce babies to texture so yeah you, you can get that also in spinach and waitress and kids what what sort of age are we looking at for pasta because i haven't i haven't ventured into the, seven the months actually because you cook it it's quite soft so okay. around seven months, you could, you could be giving that pasta to your babies. And I do lots of lots of recipes in my book. I do a really, really popular one called Popeye spinach uh, pasta. And it's like with spinach and cream cheese and parmesan and then the pasta. And babies absolutely love it. It's one of my most popular recipes. So yeah, there's loads of recipes you can make with that. And so for people listening that want to find your recipes, you've got the books, you've got the app. Um, you also have some YouTube videos and then obviously on your Instagram as well. So there are so my many platforms. <laughs> <laughs> my new recipes get posted on my Instagram. So I posted one today. Actually, it was delicious. I posted a cheese and carrot straw. And it's cheese and carrot star. And it's delicious. I ate six of them when I made it. And within about one hour, there was somebody who already made it and posted a picture of what they'd made on Instagram. It's so lovely when that happens. Like you post something in the morning and then someone makes it that day, like within an hour. And I think we had, I mean, uh, loads of people love that recipe. It was just so simple. It's so yummy. So yeah, if you do happen to look at my Instagram, do try that recipe. It's amazing. 
just earlier actually I was whatsapping some some mums that I'm in a whatsapp group with and one of the mums was asking can I give my baby rice because he's not so keen on pasta he's going through this phase and um one of the mums immediately sent through one of your recipes and was like try this my little baby loves this um it was a chicken and a chicken and rice recipe so um oh my recipes taste delicious that's the thing they are so yummy that adults and mums want to eat them themselves everything i make is like you would eat in a restaurant it's so nice i think babies need great great quality food great tasting food and that's what my books are all about it's like giving them a love of good food from a very early age yeah and you know if we're going to make a cake you know a cake i'm i am going to add something to it to make it taste nice and you know there are treats in my books as well and that's real life if you bring your child up in a in a sterile environment where you know they're not allowed to have anything that has any sugar in it as soon as they go out they're going to get mad and eat more sugar than anyone else and my kids like they could always have sugary things if they wanted it but they just wanted salads and salad dressings because i made amazing salads and salad dressings and it wasn't forbidden fruit it just wasn't tempting for them and they're all great eaters now but they eat healthy food they're not really interested in like sweet things because the healthy food tastes so good yeah, exactly. It's not that forbidden fruit. And yeah, why shouldn't healthy food taste good? Yeah, and we all want to be eating the same thing eventually. Nobody wants Absolutely. to be eating five different dinners. <laughs> you know, we I still make I, I make recipes on the complete moment on a meal plan. I made one for lunch. It's my minute sticks. It's incredible. I take fillet steak and I bash it out so it's really, really, really thin. And then I make this onion gravy. I, I cook the onion for quite some time, like 10 minutes, put some thyme with it, a teeny bit of sugar, then some chicken stock or beef stock, and a little bit of tomato paste and some Worcester sauce. It's a recipe in the Computer Tub Meal Planner. That makes the most amazing onion gravy. Then I cook the steaks for literally one minute and they're the most tender steaks you could ever have. And I put the gravy on it. I make some tiny mini roast potatoes. It's incredible. It's like your baby's first steak and chips. My mouth is watering. That sounds so good. I haven't had dinner yet. My son loves it. We make it every week, that recipe. But I designed it for babies. But I just like make it like five times as much. And we eat it for for lunch today. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite recipes in that book. So good. That sounds incredible. Annabelle, you just inspire millions of mums and dads who... It really is a daily struggle for a lot of us. Some people, it I know it, it's, it comes naturally to them, but for a lot of us, it is that sort of, oh my goodness, what am I going to feed my baby today? So thank you so much. We'll be right back after this short break. I want to take a moment to tell you all about Dubai's first and only baby spa, La Bella Baby Spa. La Bella Baby Spa is located in the heart of Dubai Healthcare City and their amazing team are all qualified and certified paediatric nurses. The spa itself is absolutely beautiful and full of gorgeous little details. Mavia and I were lucky enough to experience the La Bella treatment for ourselves recently and I just fell in love with the energy of the place. The spa has four rooms and caters to babies ages one month to one year. The Labella team provide everything from swim diapers, baby wipes, lotion, pampers, towels, and unlimited tea and coffee for us mamas. All four spa rooms are slightly different and super spacious, so you can bring along family members and friends to watch your little one enjoy some serious pampering. Their services include hydrotherapy, where the spa creates a unique experience for your little one by floating in one of their super cute baby jacuzzis. In case you didn't know, hydrotherapy improves muscle strength, coordination skills, cognitive skills, digestion problems, and sleep patterns. 
They also offer baby massage, including full body massage, including tummy time, therapeutic massage with a focus on special needs and bonding time, and instructed massage. La Bella Baby Spa is an absolute gem and a really special treat for you and your little one to spend some quality time together in a super relaxing environment. Follow the spa on Instagram today at La Bella Baby Spa to find out more and to discover some seriously cute photos. I think this would make the perfect gift for a new mummy or just something you can do with your little one on a monthly basis for some extra special bonding time. Now let's get back to the show. We're going to do a quick fire round now. Okay. So what's your one piece of advice for first time mums? So when it comes to feeding, I think it's what I was talking about is that don't just give the fruit and veg, just remember that your baby needs critical nutrients and the two most important ones are iron and essential fatty acids and make sure that you get those into your child's diet within the first two weeks of weaning. But if you're weaning earlier, about five months, then get them in on the first week that your child turns six months, because that's when their iron and their body starts to run out. So that is a really important piece of information that every mother should know, I think. Yeah, I'm going to take note of that and and get on that this week and stop being, (laughs) yeah, stop being so silly. Um, Your top three essential items for first-time mums. My book (laughs) has to be the number one. So I would say I've I've written a new book called Weenie Made Simple, which is lovely. And of course, The Complete Baby Tuttle Meal Planner, which has now gone to the second generation. So now the mother who fed her baby with that book, the baby's now growing up and is having a baby and that baby's now being fed from that book. So that is amazing. That book has just fed millions and millions and millions of of children. Um, Apart from that, uh, let's see. Best piece of, was the best equipment or best piece of advice? Essential items. Best, oh, essential so items. It could be a service, um, it could be okay. an item. So a steamer. I mean, it's interesting. I didn't really steam my vegetables until I had a baby. And then I started to think and realize that you need to steam vegetables because vitamin C and vitamin B are water soluble. So now I steam all my vegetables for everybody, but particularly important for babies because if babies don't get enough vitamin C, they don't absorb iron, especially from vegetarian food. So that's very important. Um, and then I think a mother, <laughs> having a mother around when you have a baby has to be the most important thing. Your mother really comes into your own. You know you can trust your mom. You know if you have to leave your baby, if your baby is not well, that your mother will look after them. And I think family is really important when you have a child and it's when you come back to your mom and she becomes a big part of your life. I mean, I've got two daughters. They haven't had babies yet, but I'm longing for them too. Oh, well, I'm almost 30 and I call my mum every day and ask for her advice about something. And this is important. It's, have, it's like reassurance, isn't it? I mean, you trust your mum, don't you? Yeah, I mean, she's the closest person to me. And yeah. although I have a baby and I'm a mother, I need my mother more than ever. You know, it's, um, yeah, you, and I wish she was here. But um, yeah, that's, that's such a lovely one. No one's actually said that before. Yeah, you definitely need your mummy and family around. You need your mum when you have a baby, for sure. Yes, more than ever. Um, what's the one item you thought you would use a lot as a first-time mum, but actually didn't? And this, the reason I ask this question is because we are so flooded with just stuff as mums. Yeah. Mums can feel a lot of pressure to have everything in the beautiful nursery. So what's something yeah. that you think is not probably that necessary? Well, I, I didn't have one of those, like, where you make your baby food and then you move it over and then you steam it. You know, that big thing mm. that people buy, which is quite expensive. Yeah. You need it. All you need is a steamer and a hand blender. That's it. Because that is the simplest way. You just don't need And what, what are you going to use it for after your baby's finished weaning? 
It's yeah. kind of like superfluous to requirements. It's like, why do you need something like that when you've got a steamer and you've got a blender? That's all you need. Yeah, it's so true. And they are quite pricey. They are um, quite pricey. What's one thing nobody warned you about before becoming a mum? Well, it was about the cold sores and kissing your baby. And I lost my child because of that. And had I known that, I might have might have been able to save her. So that was something that really was information that I wish I had known. Yeah, and, and thank you again for talking about that and for spreading awareness. It's just, it's incredible. So thank you. Yeah. That their immune system isn't isn't very well developed when they're very young, and to be very careful of like getting a lot of people getting hold of them and kissing them and cuddling them—that's it's not a good idea. Let them let them grow up first in a safe environment, and then let them out. And usually, this happens within the first three months of their life. And she was under three months, so yeah. it's really the first thing that we're talking about. So you're not you're not going to have to wait too late to be able to let everybody hug your baby. But I would say in the first three months, just be careful. Yeah, absolutely. Favorite thing about being a mum all the cuddles has to be I loved I loved having babies I mean I I I I think it's such an incredible thing to give birth to a child even when even when I was onto my fourth child I still didn't actually believe I was going to give birth I don't know what it is like having a baby inside you and then giving birth is so incredible I mean it has to be the best thing in the world to be a mother all my career and everything else that I've done doesn't it fell into insignificance to the children that I've had and, and the pleasure that they give me it really is the best thing in my life and now I have my son there he got COVID and he developed pneumonia and he had his own house and he hasn't been back and he's been here now for nearly three months really fantastic and is he and you okay know that's now? a good thing about COVID is that it's brought families together and is he okay now Annabelle your yes, son yes he's, 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 he's all right now he's all right oh, it was it was boom. quite slow getting him better took some time it really it really took its toll on him he had what's called organized pneumonia which had damaged his lungs so he had to be on steroids for some time he got very bad COVID oh my goodness thank goodness he's okay yeah and thank goodness we've got such a good uh we've got so many um vaccines in this country I mean I've been vaccinated and he's going to be vaccinated next week so that's great so we feel an enormous amount of protection over that yeah, I feel like the end is in sight. Um, yeah. And yeah, just thank goodness he's okay. And he's with I mean, you. Yeah, it's so lovely. And, and he's lying to cook. <laughs> Every night we cook together. It's absolutely fantastic. You I can't think. escape now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's always, they're always going to be my babies, aren't they, my children? You know, he may be a grown up guy now, but, you know, having him back with me has, has been amazing. Oh, I'm so glad. And lastly, Annabelle, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? I think love, frustration, and exhaustion. <laughs> Probably in that order as well. <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can, I can, I can relate. It's a hard job being a mum. It's not easy, but it's also the most fulfilling. It's, it's wild. It is just, I find it's it. It's relentless. Yeah, I, I find Can't it. take time off. There is no day off, is there? Ever. Never. And I can't, some, some days I am so excited for the end of the evening because I'm so tired and she goes to bed and then I spent all evening just looking at photos of her, missing her and excited to see her face in the morning. I mean, it's madness. I'm obsessed. Yeah. That's so lovely. I used to make albums of all my children and in those days that we would go to the chemist and get them printed and I was looking through that with my son and he said, how lovely to have made this. I don't know whether you do it, but it's a lovely thing to do. 
to make photo albums of your child. And later on in life, when they're older, they love looking through them. I actually saw an amazing company on Instagram the other day that um, you give them your phone and and you tell them which photos and then they make an album from it. And it's something I'm going to do this year for my family. Um, because lovely. we just take millions of photos on our phones and then we don't really exactly. do anything with them and then they're just lost aren't they but I, I I have something called a baby's first year album which I actually developed with a publisher and it's your first haircut you know what were the first words you spoke what was happening that year when your baby was born who came to visit you it's amazing and you look back at that and you don't remember these things and the children love to see them later on yeah I did my mom keep us precious things and I love make, seeing them yeah, I think it's really lovely to make each year an album of what happened with your child in that year and the photos and, get, you know, get them printed out. I think it's a lovely thing to do. Yeah, it really is. Annabelle, thank you for just being so honest and all the incredible work you do. You are inspiring millions of mums um, in the kitchen and beyond, especially in this region. Um, I love your food brand and as much as I'm going to really try and make as much fresh food as I can, I do rely on your pouches, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm, I'm going to be brave this week and I'm going to try out some salmon and eggs and I'm just going to do it. So yeah, do it. Thank you for giving it's me. It's a brilliant confidence. food for a baby. Brilliant. And they, they contain so many nutrients. So you really should, should be giving your baby those, those, those foods. And they're quick and easy, which is great for you. I will, I promise. And I'm going to put all your information in the show notes where people can find you, where people can buy your books, where to download the app and also where to find your food ranges in this region. So thank you so much, much, Annabelle. A massive thank you once again to Annabelle. You can find links to Annabelle's website, Instagram, where to buy her books and where to find her delicious food range here in the UAE in the show notes below. Please also check the show notes for helpful links to further information about encephalitis. You can also find links below to our social media accounts, including the Friday's Child Facebook community. This is a group I have created in the hope to share positive birth stories, along with parenting life hacks, tips and tricks, general advice, and much more. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review, and subscribe to Friday's Child, the podcast to help us reach more wonderful mummers. Until next time, thank you for listening.